just full. We're going. Well, good morning, everyone. Today, we have got the amazing privilege of having Pastor Joel all the way from Southern California, which is fantastic. He flew in yesterday. But not only is he preaching to us, he's preaching to our whole church. So let's welcome in Kaitaia, Whangarei, Rotorua. It's so good to have you all online. I hope your faith is ready because God's going to do something. So let's stand to our feet as we welcome the man of God to come and share with us this morning. Stay standing for one second for those of you who are viewing in as well. You know, it's important if you caught the spirit of God during worship, what he wants to continue to do. Uh, he put a message on my heart that I'm not sure as a guest speaker I could bring, but since I am part of the family, I can bring it. It could be one of the most challenging truths in scripture, but it is without a doubt one of the most liberating truths. This morning, God wants to teach us on forgiveness not just how to receive it. It's one thing when we sing that song, no matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, how to give to the people who need forgiveness from us because of what they've done to us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you were here before we got here. Thank you for leading us by your spirit into worship of you. Teach us now, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. There's a story in the New Testament when four friends lower a friend of theirs down through a hole in the roof because he's a paralytic and he needs to be able to walk. And there's a crowded room, crowded house, and Jesus is in there. And when he comes down on that stretcher, everybody in the room knows what Jesus needs to do except Jesus. Because Jesus walks over to this guy, and here's what he says to him. You're forgiven. I wonder if the guy laying on the stretcher said, well, gee, thanks, Jesus, but I was actually looking for something else here. I'd like to be able to walk. Oftentimes, that's how we are when we look at our life. If I only had the right job, if I only met the right person, if I only had enough of the wealth that I needed, then life would all be good. And Jesus says to us what he says to that man, you've got to go a little deeper. You've got to look at your life in a deeper way than just a solution to your surface problem. And Jesus says, I forgive you. And just to make sure you know how important this is, I'm actually going to have you also walk as a statement of the priority around forgiveness. In forgiveness, we find freedom, not just in Christ, but in the relationships he calls us to. And we're going to study a passage of Scripture we're going to look at three aspects, like I said, can be most challenging. Even when Jesus gave this teaching to the disciples, they interrupt him. They go, Jesus, you've got to increase our faith. You did not give us enough to do this. Some of you are going to feel like shouting that out at me halfway through this. You're going to discover more of God when you learn how to look in this forgiveness. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. And we're going to look at the priority of forgiveness, the pattern of forgiveness, and then the power to forgive. This is what Jesus teaches in Luke 17, starting in verse 3. He says, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, correct them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. 
And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. In this teaching to the disciples, he teaches about three things, the priority, and then the pattern, and then the power of forgiveness. It's interesting how he starts, the priority of forgiveness. He's going to talk about forgiveness, but what he says is, watch yourself. This is a time for you to keep an eye on yourself. You're at this crossroads where you'll either go into bondage or you'll go into blessing and freedom when somebody mistreats you. Oftentimes when somebody mistreats us, we do the opposite. We watch them. Our eyes are on them and everything they've done wrong. We pay attention to the wrongdoer, but Jesus says now is the time to look at yourself and not them. Because it's easy to be blinded to an unforgiving spirit. And you don't see it in yourself. Hebrews 12, 15 says this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's like Jesus is saying this thing called unforgiveness, for many of us in here, somebody has wronged us and we're in the middle of it. A family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor. They've done something we never imagined they would have done. They've said something to ourselves, to others, a spouse, a child. And you're right in the middle of this crossroads, and Jesus is speaking directly to you. But it's easy to be blind to an unforgiving spirit. And he says, listen, this unforgiveness, it's like a root that works below the surface. It's like you can cut a tree. But if you don't get down into the roots, that tree will simply grow again. And when you have that unforgiveness, it kind of distorts your view of yourself. Somebody wrongs you, and all of a sudden now, with unforgiveness, you kind of become a little self-righteous. What I've been through, and you're tempted to be cruel and unforgiving back because it's as if you almost deserve it, own it. It distorts our view of ourselves, And the evil that is done to you will begin to make itself into your own image. I knew of a dad who, when he grew up as a kid, his dad was really mean to him. And his dad forced him to go to church in a belligerent, legalistic way. And as he grew up and became a dad, he kept that unforgiveness. And his response was to tell his kids, you don't ever have to go to church. We're not going to go to church. As a way of spiting his father. And the very evil that had been done to him began to grow inside of him. This is what happens when you have this unforgiveness. It distorts your view of others. When somebody forgives you, you apply that in general to everybody. When a husband gets hurt by a wife, all of a sudden, all women fit that category. When somebody gets treated racially wrong, bigotry, all of a sudden, everybody in that other race fits that category of being a bigot. It destroys your view of others. Listen, as Christians, the Bible makes it clear, we're going to be mistreated. How do you live where it won't control you, where that root won't go down deep? First, you have to understand the idea of forgiveness. And a lot of times I think we kind of 
skip over this too much. Daniel 9.9 says this, Our Lord is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Forgiveness is directly linked to sin and guilt. Now, guilt is everywhere. Our society sees guilt. But our society only sees guilt in kind of an emotional way. So the way that they deal with guilt is they can shift blame. It's not really my fault. It's kind of more their fault. They can just escape. They kind of have this hedonistic, I'm just going to live life really fun and really happy, and that way I won't feel about the guilt about how I'm spending my money. They do it by redefining morality. This is no longer wrong. I don't have to feel guilty about it anymore. They do it by comparing. Well, I may not be great, but I'm not as bad as they are. So I don't have to feel guilty about it anymore. They do it through self-improvement. Look at how much better I've gotten over the last couple of years so I don't have to feel guilty about my life anymore. They do it by doing good. Look at how much money I gave to the food pantry. I don't have to feel guilty about my life anymore. But the Bible teaches us that guilt is far more than psychological and emotional. It's not just a feeling. The Bible says everybody has this sense of God. Everybody owes God something, and everybody has this sense we can't pay. A lot of times Christians will come to me and they'll say, why am I being punished? We have guilt when bad things take place. Your job is going bad, and you begin to wonder, why is God punishing me? You get sick. And your body is ill, and this thought runs through your mind. Why is God punishing me? Your child kind of goes off the rails, and after everything you've done, they're still making bad decisions, and you have this thought to your mind. Why am I being punished? And guilt kind of looms there. For some people, guilt looms there when good things happen. Why am I so lucky? Why did I get all this wealth? And there can be just as much guilt when good things are happening to them. And it's not just Christians. Millions of Hindus go wash in the Ganges River every year trying to rid themselves of guilt. Buddhists light sin offerings trying to exterminate guilt from their life. It's everywhere. Even people who don't have a faith in God in our society have this sense of guilt that is there. It's far more than just emotional. And it's important to understand this. The guilt that we feel in our life before we meet Christ is real. It's legal. It's objective. It's not just how you feel. And the reason why it's real and legal is because of the law of God. Now understand this from the biblical perspective. There is a law of God. If there wasn't a law of God, any guilt I felt would just be emotional. If there were no speed limits on any of the streets and I was driving fast and I thought, wow, that's a little risky, that would just be an emotional thing I would feel. I personally wouldn't feel that. Pastor Talk may feel that, but I wouldn't feel it. When a law is set that says you can't drive more than that and you drive faster, then the guilt is no longer just emotional. The guilt is real. It's legal. Well, the Bible says there is this law of God. The law of God is not a random list of rules. The law of God is actually a reflection of who he is. So since he is love, the law of God says we should love each other and not kill each other. It's a reflection of who he is. Since he's honest, the God, law of God says you have to speak the truth. You cannot lie. Since God is full of grace, he says you have to forgive people. So this law of God, Old Testament, New Testament, reflects who he is by his very nature. That's reality, the kingdom, as God sees it. When I break the law of God, I am guilty. Not just emotionally, but I'm actually, truthfully, legally 
guilty. If there's no law, it's just an emotional feeling. But since God is real, then it's actually true. I can't just deal with it by doing good things or comparing myself to other people. There's this real debt that is there. If I destroy the car, I don't just feel guilty. I actually have destroyed your car. I am guilty. So you cannot avoid sin and guilt. You can only resolve it. And until it's resolved, this feeling of guilt doesn't go away. And it has a power over me. Now, I have two options. Only two options. One is bondage. Living with that guilt and all the bondage, or the other one, the Bible says, is forgiveness. Those are the only two options that are given to me. Do I walk in forgiveness or do I walk in this bondage? This is why forgiveness is such a priority, written about throughout all of Scripture. Oftentimes when we define our faith, what does it mean to be a Christian? We talk about loved by God. We talk about being taken care of by God. We talk about eternity. You know, more than anything, if you read through the scriptures, what does it mean to be a Christian? Somebody who is forgiven by God through Christ. There is this debt that is prayed. Remember when Jesus is hanging on the cross? He says these two things that we never really link together. First, he says, forgive them. Then he says, what our English translation says, it is finished. Literally, tetelestoi, it means I paid the debt. Forgive them. I paid the debt. Jesus is not begging the Father. He's making a legal declaration to the Father. Now you forgive them because I have paid the debt. This is the priority of forgiveness. That's why Matthew 26 says, this is the blood of my covenant which was poured out for many for their forgiveness. Acts 2, that we oftentimes read, says in verse 38, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the priority, forgiveness. It defines us. But as it defines us, we don't just receive it, we live in it. And the way we live in it actually helps us receive it even more. There's one place where you receive it where you're now born again and your eternity is sealed. But when you live in it and walk in it, there's this direct correlation. The more I live in forgiveness, the more I discover Jesus and his grace. But there is a pattern that's very important. Here's where you're not going to like what I have to say to you. Here's where you're going to say, oh, no way. Joel, what have you been smoking? There's no way. This is the pattern of forgiveness. Three things you must do, this passage teaches us. You must identify with the wrongdoer. You must pay the debt. And you must seek their good. Three things that Jesus did, three things that we do. And some of you are here, and I don't want to make light of the pain and hurt that somebody has caused you. But I also want to be honest with the trap that may be in your heart right now because you don't know what to do with that pain and hurt. And as you receive forgiveness, you've got to give forgiveness. You've got to identify with the wrongdoer. You've got to pay the debt. And you have to seek their good. Let's look at how Jesus thought this. First, you've got to identify with the wrongdoer. In verse 3, he says, if your brother and sister sins against you. He's not talking about strangers or random people. 
but he identifies this as family, close people, showing that they're not that different than we are. When we're wronged against, when somebody hurts us or causes pain, you know what we do? We separate ourselves from them. We are not like them. They're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. Have you ever seen a cartoonist when he draws a portrait of somebody, usually a sketch portrait, and they do a caricature? They find one part of their face and they like blow it way out of proportion, kind of in a humorous way. So like, you know, they'll take somebody who's got a slightly bigger nose and when they draw it, all you see is the nose. This is what we do when somebody hurts us. We look at one aspect of their character that has caused them to do hurt and we define them by it. We separate ourselves from them. What Jesus wants us to admit is we are more similar than them than different. We define them by their wrong. That's who they are. That's their identity. We only define ourselves by our actions. And when we make this separation, we carry that pain and that hurt, and it will hold us in bondage. I had a friend of mine lie to me over a period of about six months. I couldn't believe that he would lie to me. And I remember my first response was to say, he's a liar. I mean, that's who he is. That big nose is just liar. Nothing but liar. Now, when I looked at myself, yes, I lie. But when I lie, it's very complicated. <laughs> There's many factors involved. Him, he's just a liar. And Jesus says, no. You've got to identify yourself more as similar with the person who has done you wrong than more different than the person who has done you wrong. You say, how do I do that? You've got to be true to your identity before you met Christ so that there's no evil influence. You know, when you're forgiving, that's Christ at work in you. Don't turn the gift of salvation into a status of spiritual superiority. You quickly remember who they were. When you don't forgive, you know what you do? You put yourself in the position of the master. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you are completely unqualified for the job of the master. Just look at yourself. You have no knowledge of that person. You don't really know why they did it. What's going on in their life? Their struggles, their difficulties? You have no right to judge because you were just as guilty at one point. And you never hung on the cross. So Jesus says, listen, if you're really going to be free, as tough as this is, you've got to identify more with them and more separate from them. You cannot look at them and say, wow, I'm glad I'm not like them. He's just a liar. No, Jesus says, you are far more like them before you were saved. Then the second thing you have to do is you have to pay the debt inwardly. In verse 4, he uses this word forgive. It's an economic term. Here's how this works. If you are wronged, there may be an external debt. If you come and hit my car and create a dent in my car, somebody's got to pay for that dent to be fixed. There may be an external debt. But when you are wronged, there is always an internal debt. You spill coffee on my suit, there's a debt the suit's got to be clean. But when you ruin my character, there's an internal debt that's there. And when you are wronged, there's always this voice in you that says, they owe me. They have created pain and they owe me. And the currency of what they owe is pain. Because that's what you're experiencing. And you want to see them suffer as you have suffered. So I'm going to make them pay that debt. Here's how we do that. We play judge. If they ruined me, how can I 
ruin them. Oftentimes as Christians, we do this under the guise of wanting to protect our fellow brothers and sisters when deep down in our heart, all we're doing is saying, you created pain in my life. I'm going to watch you suffer as I have been suffering. And when they experience the pain, and a lot of you know what this is like, when they experience the pain, you feel better. Not for a long time. But in the short term, you ruin my character and I find out your character got ruined, I actually feel a little good about that. Some of the debt goes away, but in a very unhealthy way that the roots go deeper, it will ruin me. So we play judge. For those of us who are more spiritually mature, we know we can't do that. It's not right. So we just avoid them. But deep in our heart, we root for their pain. We hate them on the inside, do nothing on the outside. It's like Christian voodoo dolls. We have these little Christian voodoo dolls. We're sticking pens in them. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus says, correct them, connected to forgive them. And if you want to really walk in complete freedom, you have to do what Jesus modeled for us. You have to pay the debt of pain so you are free from any root of bitterness. So there's a moment when somebody has hurt you. And you want to gossip. You have this perfect opportunity to slander against them, but you don't. And there's pain, and you go, ah. Oh. But you take that pain. You have a chance to ruin them, to really marginalize their character, but you don't. And you feel the pain, oh, what I could have said. But you don't. And you take that pain. When you see them prospering, you want to replay in your mind everything they've done wrong and how unworthy they are to prosper, but you don't. You pray for blessing in their life. And it hurts, and you take that pain. If you forgive somebody, then Jesus says, you got to pay the debt. You have to firm them, not run them down. You have to bless them, not curse them. You have to love them, not be cold to them. Because that's what part of being a Christ follower is. Paul explained this in Romans 8, 17, where he says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, we can't go to the cross and die. But this is one of the ways we share in his sufferings. Where as a Christ follower, I'm going to extend forgiveness. Even though the world may look at me and think I'm crazy, I'm going to identify with them. I'm going to take the pain and pay the debt, and I'm sharing with Christ, because through my activity, there is the opportunity for the gospel and for the grace to go forward. If I treat them like the world treats them, then the kingdom's not involved in that anywhere, and there's no potential for redemption. If I pay, then I am free. I will share in the glory, Paul says. If they pay, then I'm controlled for it, by it forever. You say, how do I pay this debt? You have to approach them. Matthew 18, Jesus says, when you forgive somebody, you go to them so you can win them back. This doesn't make any sense. Pastor Talk hurts me. Not that he would, but he hurts me. Here's what Jesus says, Joel, you got to go to Pastor Talk. Because undoubtedly there's something wrong in his life. And you got to go to him and forgive him so that you can win him back. No, if he hurts me, he's got to come to me groveling so he can win me back. And we wait stoically for that person to prove that they're really remorseful. Then maybe they'll win me back as a friend. Jesus switches it. He goes, no, 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 no. 
You're the one who's been forgiven. So you got to go to that person. How do I pay the debt? I'm the one who's been hurt, yet I'm the one who approaches them. And you say, Joel, now you're where the disciples are. Are you crazy? You can understand why the disciples said, increase our faith. You haven't given us enough to actually believe we can do this. Some of you would say, Gee, Joel, I cannot forgive them because I'm just too angry. Do you know what I would say to you? Now, you're too angry because you haven't forgiven them. Forgiveness is a command. It's not an emotional position. Jesus is so strong about this for our good that in Mark 11 he says, listen, if you stand praying and you realize you have something against anyone, stop. Go. Forgive them. This is a priority because of the freedom it comes to us. Don't wait until they come groveling back to you. Jesus is not expecting you to have warm, fuzzy feelings towards them. He's expecting you to act in faith. Forgiveness is something you give before you feel it. You give it first in faith. Then you will feel it. That's why when the disciples said, increase our faith, they didn't say increase our love. They didn't say help us to love these people more. They didn't say increase our compassion. They said, no, if I'm going to carry this out, I have to have a greater trust in you, Jesus. Not a greater expectation of them. So, i got to identify with the wrongdoer. i got to pay this debt by approaching them. And then he goes on to say, and you also have to seek the good of the wrongdoer. Verse 4, he talks about seven times a day. This complete picture. Whenever they come to you, you've got to be able to forgive them. Paying the debt allows me then to seek their good. It eliminates the drive for vengeance. You ever had somebody hurt you and you want to get them back? In your mind, here's what you think. I want to get them back, but just so we're equal. Just so we're even. There is no even. Because we have different views on it. So if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back so we're even. But my definition of how much you hurt me is different than your definition. So I'm going to hurt you back what I think is right, but you think it's too much. And then when you get hurt, you go, whoa, I didn't deserve that. I'm going to hurt them back so we can get even. And then you hurt me back, but your definition of how much I hurt you is much more than what I thought. I go, whoa, what on earth? I didn't deserve that. I'm going to hurt you back. And families end up in fights for decades. And gangs kill people. Because there is no an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It ends up being a body for a body. And nations go to war. Because there really is no justice outside of the kingdom of God and God's grace. So he says, listen, I know this is a tough teaching, guys. But you've got to discover behind it is freedom. Freedom in the kingdom, supernatural freedom. That, so here's the deal. You've got to be able to identify with them more than you segregate yourself from them. You've got to be able to pay the debt and realize there's going to be some pain involved in that. And you've got to be able to seek their good. That's why Paul says this is the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us. You say, how do I seek their good? The Bible's really clear. You have to pray for blessing in their life. The Bible says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
You pray for blessing in the life of the wrongdoer. Even if the only prayer you can get out of your heart right now is, God, open the eyes of that idiot to what they did wrong. Even that's a prayer. Even that's a starting point. But you have got to be able to pray a blessing because you will only stay angry and hurt if you feel superior to somebody. And if you are praying a blessing on somebody, you will stop feeling superior to them. Pray because oftentimes they don't recognize what they need and what they want. He says, listen, if possible, you be at peace with everybody and you pray this blessing on them. Now, here's where we kind of hit the pause button. We go, whoa, not just what is Joel smoking, what is Jesus smoking? He has no idea the pain that I'm in. He has no idea the hurt that my spouse has done. Yet the Bible says, no, he absolutely has an idea. Right now, for many of you who are here, for those of you who are watching at every Church Unlimited campus, there is a pain in your heart because somebody has hurt you. And there is so much. And you hear this teaching from Christ that says, you have a choice. You can let it become a bitter root that will eat you up. Or you can trust me and have freedom. But you have to forgive them. Well, what does that look like? It's an act of obedience that says, all right, I'm going to align myself with them. You know, I'm a lot more like them than I am separate from them because of the grace of God. I'm going to take that pain every day and then I'm going to seek their good and pray blessing on them. And the response that the disciples has is the response that we have. How in God's name do you think we can pull this off? And here's what Jesus says to them. In verse 5, the disciples says, increase our faith. Jesus, you haven't given us enough. And he says, yes, I actually have. They don't ask for more love, more compassion, but faith. Because forgiveness is not about you and the offender. Forgiveness is about you and Jesus. And you trust him in your life. So here's how he responds from in verse 6. He says this, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. This was a kind of tree that lived for over 600 years. Its roots went so, so deep. Kind of like the deep roots that Hebrews talked to us about. He says, listen, if you just have a grain of faith, however deep those roots of unforgiveness are going, you have the ability to have that ripped out and thrown away and to be healed from that unforgiveness and banished forever. If you know what Christ has done for you, if you have accepted the forgiveness that Jesus has given you, then you have that seed in you. You see, we don't learn to forgive by trying. We learn to forgive by experience. Little infants, they don't try to love. They don't try to trust. They experience the love and the trust of a parent. And when they experience that, then they're able to grow up trusting and loving. If they never experience that, you see how they cannot trust, they cannot love. So here's what God does. He comes to us and he says, I want you to experience forgiveness. My son died on the cross, resurrected, full grace given to you. And we go, wow, I'm experiencing forgiveness. The more you experience that, the more you can give it out. And all you need is the faith of a mustard seed. And the roots of unforgiveness and bitterness can be ripped out for you. And you say, what does that experience look like? And he tells this parable in verses 7 through 10. And he talks about two roles. There's the master. And then there's the servant. Now this servant is a servant we don't have in our society anymore. It's not a slave. And it's not an employee. 
It was called an indentured servant. When you owed a debt you could not pay, you went and worked for the master. And that's how you paid off the debt. It's very common in the first century. And Jesus kind of creates this picture around roles. And he's basically saying, you got to know your role. Are you the master or are you the servant? Paul would say in Ephesians 2, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, hopeless and without guilt. There was a legal guiltiness. There was a debt you could not pay. You were a sinner and far, far worse. And then all of a sudden, with absolute grace, Jesus comes and he forgives you. And that experience, that mustard seed of faith, enables you to forgive others. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to this world to judge the world or condemn the world. I came to the world to forgive and save the world. And if he's not going to judge and condemn the world, then who do I dare that I could do that? And he says, listen, the answer to how I have the power of forgiveness is not in love. It's in faith. A faith of what Jesus has given me. And when you discover that you are forgiven, then you begin to forgive others. There are some of you in here this morning at the campuses, and you have been hurt. And I am really, really sorry for that. But you're at a crossroads. You can trust Jesus with the experience he's given you, you can begin day by day to forgive. Not in an emotional sense, but an act of faith. Do not see yourself as superior spiritually, but identify with that person. To be willing to pay the debt inwardly, day by day. To pray blessing in their life. To do for them what Jesus did for you. Because when you do that, you find a freedom. Maybe not overnight, but day by day as you walk through it, you find this freedom. You experience greater grace, greater forgiveness, as you give out greater grace and greater forgiveness. The priority of forgiveness, there's a real guilt and a real forgiveness because of the cross of Christ. The pattern of forgiveness, identify with him, pay the debt, Seek their good. It's exactly what Jesus did for you. And the power, know the owner who became the unforgiven servant and died on a cross so that all of us could be forgiven. Bow your heads with me, will you please? Pastor Sam's going to come up here and close the service, but just take a moment. If you're here this morning and... You are hurt and there is pain in your heart. Take a moment and fix your eyes on Jesus, not the wrongdoer. Maybe you need to say the prayer that the disciples said, Lord, you've got to help me. Increase my faith. Help me to depend and rely on your love and your grace and your forgiveness more so that I can begin to forgive this person. You just take a moment, talk to Jesus, more importantly, let Jesus talk to you.